0: Well, church family, it is good to be in the house of God with you. I thank God for that promise, and we're just going to keep rallying around it that not for a minute was I forsaken, but the Lord yes. is in this place. Amen. And if you believe that, then you know it's true about your home. If you believe that, that you, then you know that a season of quarantining and a season of things being closed hasn't changed the reality that God's presence can meet you where faith rises. Yes, Amen? Amen. And So that's what we're all about, faith rising in this moment, to receive from the Lord. And I believe God wants to say something to us, Today, you know, this has been a unique season that we've been in for these last several months, no doubt. But as you just saw on the screen, the title for the message today is Don't Waste a Crisis.
1: Yeah.
0: A lot of us have used that word this year, crisis. crisis. That's what it feels like we're in. It's it's a crisis, whether it's a political crisis or a health crisis or a societal crisis. Or maybe you just got a crisis trying to homeschool your kids. You know, it's a crisis. Amen. Maybe getting toilet paper is your crisis, <laughs> but we have had some crisis. And so what I want to say to us this weekend is don't waste a crisis. This is the 13th weekend, Pastor Chris, <laughs> of doing church, preaching to cameras. And, and I got to say, this has been the most unique season of ministry that I've ever experienced in my life,
2: yeah.
0: 13 weekends of, uh, of proclaiming the word, uh, knowing that, you know, people may or may not be listening on the other <laughs> side. You might be cooking breakfast right now. I don't know. You might be, you know, chasing the dog. I don't know what you're doing, but here I am doing what I know to do, preaching the word of God, trying to be faithful. And I got to just say, it's strange. It is. It's been strange. And, and more than strange, it's been a burden. Can I just be honest tonight and, and tell you in the room? It's, it's been a burden. In fact, there's a verse of scripture that I, I read uh, recently that I, I, I thought, man, that, I, I can relate to that. And it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, it was verse 28. You know, before that, Paul was talking about all the things that he went through in 2 Corinthians 11 he he you know he was shipwrecked and he was stoned and left for dead and thank god i can't relate to all that i've never <laughs> i've never been left naked and hungry as as he said he was but i can relate to verse 28 because paul said these words he said besides everything else i face daily the pressure of my concern for the churches mm. And when I read that, I thought, man, I, I know what he meant when Paul said that. I have felt daily the pressure of the concern for the churches. And, and, and I'm so I'm so grateful for this brother that's sitting here with me for this service. Because Pastor Chris and I, uh, we have had many conversations over the last several weeks. And earlier this week, we were just... We were just processing this, this whole thing that we've been through, this global pandemic and, and doing church social distancing for months and, and, and just began to ask each other the question, what is God teaching you mm-hmm. in all of this? And as we had that conversation back and forth, I just sensed that the Holy Spirit would, would benefit in your life. If you got to be a part of that conversation too. So so here's what I want to do this weekend. This is a little unconventional. It's not how we usually uh, do our church services. But I asked Pastor Chris to join me. And we're just going to talk about some of the things that the Lord is teaching us in the midst of this whole crisis. And so let me just say... Publicly, Pastor Chris, thank you so much for your leadership. Uh, I've been the one in front of the camera most of the time, uh, but Church, I, I want to tell you, you know, God is so good in His providence that He provides for us before we know we have needs. Mm. And can I just say that that I could not have led this church through this season without the team that God provided. I'm so thankful thank for you. Pastor Chris. I'm so thankful for Val, and she's on the other side of the camera continually, and and, and the people that have stepped in. And made, uh, made the church uh, just continue to, to operate. I, and I, I can't go down the list of names of everyone, but I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for you and, and for the way that, that God has not only spoken to you in the crisis, but spoken to me through you.
1: Thank
0: you. And, and that's my prayer that God would speak to you in your crisis through us, because here's what I know our tendency is. Our tendency is to get so focused on God to get me through it.. Yeah that we forget God's intention is to get us to it. Amen. And what I mean, I don't mean the crisis. What I mean is God is always moving forward. God is always advancing. He's always got a destination in mind. And so God never has the purpose of just getting you through something. He's always getting you to something. And and as we talked about the crisis and what has God taught us in the crisis, listen, I don't want to waste a crisis. I don't want to spend all my time saying, God, just help me to get through it and not miss what he's trying to get me to. And here's, here's what I know. Not everything we experience, God wills. Mm. Not every bad thing that happens to you is the will of God. God doesn't always will your experiences, but I also know this is true. God doesn't waste your experiences. Amen. That means there's something in all of the Stuff the mess of twenty twenty yeah. that God wants to communicate to us.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Let, let me give us a verse to kind of jump into this as, as we were talking earlier this week. This one scripture just kind of kind of just landed on the top of the pile. Yeah,
2: like a theme verse.
0: It really did become a theme. And and you've probably heard it before if you've been in church very long. It's Genesis chapter fifty and verse. 20. I'm going to read it to you. It says, and this is Joseph speaking. He said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives.
2: Yeah, it's a good verse because it tells us that no matter what we're going through, God can use it. Yeah. And, and I thank God for that. But I have to admit at the beginning of all this, I had to ask, God, what are you doing? Right. You know, And I think a lot of us are there. And I remember there was one specific moment in one of our first prayer gatherings. You know, it's called a prayer gathering. <laughs> we would usually get together on Wednesday evenings, but we had to find a way of doing it like this, doing it through Facebook. And I think it was maybe our second one that we were doing through Facebook. I could just feel the weight of that, that verse you shared earlier in Corinthians, you know, about the burden for the church. Yes, yeah. And you shared two verses, These are the verses that stuck out to me. It says, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. I remember that. Even now, I'm like just feeling the the words that the Apostle Paul was speaking to the church. And church, I long to be with you. Yeah. I mean, he was in chains. He felt isolated just like we feel isolated. And I've been feeling that in this season. And we've talked many times from the very beginning going like, I'm just concerned about the church. Yeah. What's the church going to do in the midst of this? How are they going to step up? Are they going to isolate themselves? Or, or are they going to be the church in this season? It was a very real concern that I've had yeah. from the very beginning of all of this. And you know what's interesting, though, is the, the word that God spoke to us for this year. And many of you may know this word is kingdom.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Actually, Alicia, you're wearing the shirt right now that says kingdom, right? Uh, th- that's a word that God spoke to our church from the beginning of this year. And you know, when you first shared that word with me, I thought, yeah, God, this is a, this is a year in November, we're going to have some major right? voting. It's mm-hmm. a very political season. And so here I'm expecting that this word kingdom is going to mean, oh yeah, well, we got to focus on the kingdom because right. of this political stuff going on. never, Never would I have imagined that God would give us a word like that for a season like this. Yeah. That, that he'd want us to focus on being kingdom-oriented in the midst of a crisis such as this. I mean, we see politics everywhere. We see opinions everywhere. We see we see racial division. We see injustice. Oh, so many different things. And there's this, this core word that God has given us. Yeah, it's been that an anchor. We can, exactly, that we can wrap our minds around.
0: You know, I got to say, I, just on that note— you, it's so easy for me as a pastor to uh, equate the work of God with the local church because I live and breathe the local church. Yeah, You know, I, I was even raised a, a pastor's kid. So not just as a profession, but my whole life, my faith has revolved around a local body of believers. And in some sense, that's good and healthy and right. But when the doors closed yeah, for 13 weeks, the fact that Jesus said he would build his kingdom through us was an anchor to recognize that, that God, is, God is doing something. Yes, he's primarily doing it through the local church, but it's not the brick and mortar. Yeah. It's the body. It's the body. Yeah. And, you know, if we learned anything through this, and I think everybody could be on the same page with this <laughs> through this quarantine and through all this stuff of 2020, we've learned that plans change, mm-hmm. but God is faithful. Amen. God is faithful. Our plans, they, they do change. In fact, let me just give you a verse out of Proverbs chapter 19. It says in verse 21, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Amen. Many are the plans in a, per- in a person's heart. Or we could say, many were the plans on my eye calendar. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the Lord's purpose that Prevails, and I love this verse out of uh, Proverbs sixteen nine. Proverbs sixteen nine says, "In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps." Amen. We plan our course, but the Lord establishes their steps. Proverbs sixteen. Nine. You know, when I thought about that verse, I, this is just the way my brain works sometimes with associations. But when I saw 16-9, we've been doing so much media, we've been doing so much camera stuff, so much formatting and making stuff work right, and Val can testify to this. I thought 16-9, well like widescreen. 16-9 format. <laughs> yeah. And then I thought, you know, I need to memorize Proverbs 16, 9, because this truth needs to be in widescreen, high definition, 4K on the canvas of my heart and of my mind. I need to remember that there are plans in the hearts of men. We plan our course, but it's the Lord that establishes our steps. And we've seen that. I mean, this year, I've, I've got a stack right here. I brought them with me. They're probably wondering what this is all about. This is my stack of Easter invite cards that we had printed up back in February or early March. Hundreds. Hundreds (laughs) of cards because we had a plan in our hearts. This is what we're going to do for Easter. We're going to go from two services to three services. We're going to meet at 8.30 a.m., at 10.00 a.m., at 11.30 a.m. We're going to have an attendance record, and that was the plan (laughs) pre-COVID, And you know what happened to that plan? That plan just fell on the floor. Because well, many are the plans of a man,
2: but yeah. it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. The day before that, we were supposed to hand these out at a huge Easter outreach, where we usually have a 1,000 people yeah. that show up for that. Yep. And that plan it. was shot. That plan's gone. That's, you know, yeah. I had
0: a lot of plans. I got a lot of cards here. Yeah. I was supposed to go to Israel. In March, I got as far as the airport, and all of a sudden, the prime minister of Israel said, Nobody's coming into this country. Unless they're going to go straight to a hotel and be quarantined for 14 days. So I drove back from the airport in Jersey, and that plan's gone. Yeah. My daughter, she was supposed to be in a high school production, but that plan's gone. Sorry, Morgan. Yeah. You're not doing that this year. I don't know if anybody has had plans this year that you're like, yeah, you know, we had this thing going on, and that plan is gone. Yeah. Anybody Anybody feel like throwing a card right now?
1: Yeah, here. You can I someone. just wonder,
0: is anybody <laughs> else in the room, and you say, 2020 has felt like this. just <laughs> Like, that's, that's my 2020 so far. Anybody ever had a plan like that? I'm just going to go and put all these down here because these are the plans in the hearts of a human. But you know what? The Lord establishes our steps. Yeah. And here's the good news that sometimes our plans hit the floor. The things that we thought we were going to do and the the way that we thought we were going to do them, they don't work out the way that we are. But here's, here's what I want us to know. And here's what I want us to remember. Our plans change. But God is faithful. Yes. He's
2: faithful. He's always, always faithful. His purpose prevails through every situation. That's right. And we can always see. You know what's amazing about that first card that you threw when you talked about having three services on Easter? you know what? We still had three services on Easter. You know that? (laughs) That's right, yeah. We had a 9 o'clock, 11 o'clock, and an 8 p.m. right here on Facebook, and we had record attendance. That's right. On Easter Sunday. Yeah. God's purpose prevails. I couldn't help but think about the verse that you first shared out of Genesis 50, talking about Joseph. Yeah, You know, that, that what they intended for evil, God has turned for good. I mean, imagine Joseph. At 17 years old, God gave him a dream that he was going to be a ruler and that his family was going to bow down to him. Yeah. Well, I'm sure he wasn't expecting getting thrown into a pit, getting sold as a slave, right. uh, being wrongly accused, going to prison, and then suddenly interpreting this dream, thinking you're coming out of prison And you're still in prison. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he's second in command in the palace. Mm. Amazing. Amen. Amazing how God's purpose prevails. Keep keep this in mind. Your current
0: problems don't cancel God's eternal promises. Yeah. I'm going to say that again. Your current problems don't cancel God's eternal promises. Promises because I mean, the first thing that I think all of us learned when uh, you know, we started finding out that we 're going to have to limit our gatherings to less than ten people, and everybody should stay at home unless it 's a you know uh, an emergency, and some of us started finding out you, you thought your job was important, and then you were told you 're not essential, and <laughs> apparently your job 's not important and, uh, and and then others of you you were essential, and you were upset because everybody else was getting paid to stay home maybe, and you weren 't and so but we learned quickly that plans change, but God is faithful. And, and to be honest, I can re- I can remember the conversation in the kingdom. When that first started happening, it seemed like it was almost like a unifying moment. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, like a post 9-11, like everybody rallied together right. and there was unity. And I even heard people talking about like, like, like this, this signs of revival, you know, like, man, God's about to do something. It's gonna be awesome because we're getting unified and we're gonna overcome. And it felt really good. For like two weeks.
2: <laughs> and then it felt like it turned toxic.
0: It got toxic. That's the word. It got toxic really quick yeah. because, you know, 14 days turned into, you know, weeks and and, and then People started having opinions, and then people started having opinions about the opinions, and then the conspiracies started rolling out. And, and all of a sudden, what what started out as a moment that we were going, man, this could be a—God could be doing something. All the, i got to be honest with you. I started getting really discouraged Yeah. because I started recognizing that, wow, you know what? Everything God does, he does where there is unity. Mm-hmm. And we started losing that sense of unity, and we started having a, a culture of, of division and strife. And, and so one of the things that, that we talked about earlier this week is, as we were just saying, what's the Lord teaching us? And, and it's simply this, that the church is called to respond differently. Amen. And this situation has illustrated that so, so profoundly.
2: I think we can say that again. The church is called to respond differently. Yeah. You know, as and when you said that phrase, I couldn't help but think about this verse that has stuck with me through this whole time. And it's James 1, uh, 19. And I've shared it in youth messages. I just find that it's constantly coming up, even for church updates. I keep sharing the same verse. The verse is my dear brothers and sisters. Take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. I feel like I have to read it slow. <laughs> Qu- quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Yeah. Quick to listen. You know, there's, there's three three phrases there. And I couldn't help but think about the beginning of this and all the different perspectives and opinions that people began to have and and yeah. the thoughts that were going through Facebook and social media and... And all those things. And there was a phrase that came out that, that I kept hearing, and, and it's true. Uh, we're all in the same storm, but we're not in the same boat. Right. And I began to see that because as even in the church, like, people were beginning to lose their jobs. There were people who were losing their businesses and losing loved ones to this virus. There were right. people in our church who, who got the virus. Like, there was so many different scenarios. There were some people that working, were working twice as hard, getting paid twice as much, and getting stimulus checks on top of it, you know? Right. There was every kind of scenario in the book. And and you know what's interesting, though, and and you and I talked about this, is sometimes isolation can cause us to be a little selfish. Yeah. And only see what's inside our own personal bubble and our own personal world. That's good. And I began to see a lot of that, not only in the culture, but sometimes in the church as well. Yeah. You know, uh, the idea that you can't empathize with what other people are going through. And you know why sometimes we can't empathize with other people is because... We're not listening to them,
0: we're not listening, yeah, you know it's crazy you know it, it, it's easy for our our information sources to be an echo chamber
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know that's just you know it's funny. I, I preached a message last year about algorithms and uh and and we have just seen that reality of, of algorithms play into so many conversations since yeah. then but but we see it play out on social media you know we we look at the information that we agree with, and we are in the same network with people that we're friends with, and you're friends with them because you generally agree with them, (laughs) and so what we're really doing is we're searching out our own opinion, Mm -hmm. and the algorithm keeps giving us back an affirmation of what we already Mm -hmm. believe to be (laughs) true, and we just keep sharing it, and we're not really sharing or listening. We're just talking through many voices, but we're saying the same thing, and, and it's like our news, it just becomes an echo chamber of what we already believe to be true. We had a guy, we had a guy just this week, we were actually having this This conversation. conversation. We were talking about what have you learned in this crisis? And I had a guy walk in the front door and and interrupt our meeting. He lived 45 minutes away, not even from here. And still, Though we had never met and he'd never been to this church and will probably never attend this church, he still felt his obligation to take 40 minutes to tell us how the church ought to be operating. <laughs> and I thought,
2: wow. It's the world we live in.
0: That is a snapshot of culture right now mm-hmm. that we just, we just assume that uh, we got it figured out, you know, probably because I thought that and five of my friends thought the same thing. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then we, we're not. We're not listening. And that idea of being quick to listen is just so, so powerful.
2: Yeah. And and I couldn't even, even that conversation, we were having a discussion and Jesus did this so well too. He would ask questions. Oftentimes, we were sitting there, we were asking, right, now, right, what, right, yeah, now yeah. what do you mean by that? Little did he know how much we've been processing all of this right. for so many weeks and trying to figure out all these things. And, and, and we hear this information and that information. And here as a church, we're trying to find a, a balance of, of what is wise counsel. Let me just tell you, church, I don't get my wise counsel off of Facebook information. <laughs> I just Preach. have to be honest with yes. you. I, I, call, I call people that I trust right I, I call people that I care about people that that I will listen to even jesus twelve year old Jesus knew more than we know yeah. it says it says in Luke chapter two that that Jesus was listening to the teachers, the Son of God right was listening yeah how much more do we need to listen
0: we need to listen now go go back to James though because he said be quick to listen, but then he said, be slow to speak mm-hmm. and I- Maybe we should just write that down, pray, and and log off. (laughs) You know, I mean, be slow to speak. I I, want to share something because, really, the whole heart of doing this, you know, as we talked earlier this week, I said, I just want to share what the Lord's teaching us. And I hope God's teaching you something. But uh, I I brought my journal with me because I want to share that this is not something I prepared for a sermon for you. This was back on May 23rd. God was teaching me about being slow to speak. And that morning I was in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 17, and this is what it says, Proverbs 18, 17. In a lawsuit, the first to speak seems right until someone comes forward and cross-examines. I just love the Proverbs. They're so practical. But isn't that true? That in a lawsuit, I mean, think about it, a lawyer it is their profession it, you know it is to is to be convincing you know mm-hmm. that, uh, they they are to convince you and so in a lawsuit the first one to speak it seems right and that's the way it, until someone cross examines and, and and so that day in my journal as i wrote that verse down the holy spirit began to speak to me about it i just made this observation i said you know there are two sides to every coin it's easy to get it wrong if you only listen to one side of the story jumping to a quick conclusion is a sure way to get it wrong often. The cross-examiner approaches the same scenario with a different set of questions. And as I just began to pray about that, and this is my personal devotion, this is uh, rarely do I preach from my my (laughs) devotional, but I am right now. I wanna tell you what I wrote down as the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. I said none of us should post an opinion based on one article or one video that we've seen, you need to cross-examine your source. The play on words in this verse is stirring in me mm-hmm. because what the church really needs to do in a culture of hotheads, op-eds, clickbait, shock-reel post is to cross-examine. It's good. And the Holy Spirit just began to deal with me about that play on words, to not just cross examine like a a lawyer does to a witness, but that we need to cross examine, Mm -hmm. that we need to get our, our eyes and our attention off of the noise of what people are saying or what opinions might be outside or even inside our own minds, and we need to get our eyes back on the Lord. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus and cross examine, because here's the deal, when we cross examine, when we focus on the cross, what we see is a savior.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: What we see is a God, man hanging there who felt our pain.
2: Yeah, that's good.
0: That's something we should never forget about the gospel, that the God we serve, the savior who rescued us is a God who is acquainted with our suffering, Isaiah 53 says. Yeah. He he
2: felt Our pain. Yeah. Hebrews chapter four says, we do not have a high priest who has not empathized with our weakness. Yes. He has literally walked in our shoes. That's it. You know,
0: Philippians two, it says that God did not consider equality or Jesus did not consider equality with God, something to be grasped Mm -hmm. or something to use to his own advantage. In other words, he chose to humble himself, talking about being slow to speak, Yeah. And, and, and before we just open our mouth with an opinion about something, we ought to first listen, mm-hmm. but we also need to listen from the perspective of a cross examiner. Because here's what we know about Jesus. We're talking about incarnational ministry. The word, John 1 says, became flesh and dwelt among us. And now we're called to be Christ's ambassadors in the earth. In other words, we are supposed to live out an incarnational gospel. And so our, our purpose, our perspective as the people of God should be to try to understand where somebody's coming from. Yeah. You know, to not just take our gospel and just, you know, hit somebody over the head with it, but to really, the whole, the gospel is that God came down, Mm -hmm. that the gospel meets you where you are. That's why our vision, our purpose statement as a church is to lead people from where they are. to where God wants them to be. That's incarnational ministry. That's saying, I will go where you are. I'll understand where you're at so that I can take you to where God wants you to be.
2: But if we're not slow to speak, we can't ever see where somebody's at. Yeah, and you know what? I have to be honest with you. I have to be honest with you, church. There has been a number of times in this crisis that I have had to apologize.
1: Mm.
2: I've had to apologize. I had to apologize to you at one point, pastor, because... I was too quick to speak. And uh, I realized that I I was speaking truth. I really do believe that I was speaking truth. But sometimes when we're too quick to speak, we don't speak the truth in love. And, And I find that happens. If we're not slow to speak, we rarely have thought about it. We've rarely thought about how it affects somebody else and how it affects their lives. And so there has been a number of times that my emotions in this season have gotten the best of me. Yeah. And I wanted to voice my concern, voice my opinion, and I realized that was not right. Yeah, I don't see very many apologies in this world right now. Right,
0: yeah. You know, and I think part of the problem that we see uh, in, our, in our society is uh, people want to speak authoritatively on pain they've never felt.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot, there's a lot of, of racial tension in, in our nation right now. Uh, and, and at first, kind of like the COVID-19 thing, it felt like a real rally point. Like everybody's like, oh, we, it's time. We got to step up. We got to say something. And now you get a couple weeks removed and all of a sudden I'm seeing, you know, people sharing different opinions on different things. And, and, and I, I just gotta, I gotta tell you, it, I think we got to be slow to speak on on issues that you haven't tu- you haven't been touched by. If yeah. you haven't felt the pain of a crisis, you can't be the authority in that crisis. Doesn't mean you can't have an opinion about it. Certainly doesn't mean you shouldn't pray about it. But but I, I, I'm I'm concerned when I see people speaking about things when when really what Jesus modeled for us is to come down from a high place and to walk with a person, Amen. to just, just sit in it for a moment before you post about it. Right. Just experience what somebody's feeling before you're quick to tell us or to invalidate something. And, and we have to be careful to, to, not, to not be too quick to speak. But there's a third thing there, and, and we're gonna in get James. out of James here in a minute, but we gotta touch on this
2: one. Well, that flows nicely to the next part. Slow to become angry. That's it, be you, you, slow to speak and slow to become angry. Angry. You know what I can't, uh, I can't help but see in this, though, is uh, I hear this from Christians a lot of times, and sometimes I'll use this as well, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> you know what? Even Jesus got angry, right? Righteous anger. Jesus got angry. Didn't he go in and, like, make a whip and start whipping people in the temple, right?
0: that's Yes, and you know what? That is, like, the qualifier now <laughs> of all things Christian outbursts. Like anybody that gets upset, about, <laughs> anybody that gets upset about anything, and they're a Christian, that's like the default defense. Well, even Jesus got angry, and, and it's like it's like the, the excuse for losing my mind in a public forum or or going off on somebody, you know, or, or validating a, an emotional outburst. But but the question is. Uh, well, well, let's look at it. Okay, yeah. let's just go there because did Jesus get angry? Yes, Jesus got angry. Uh, but let's let's look at it because the reality is, uh, you know, Jesus didn't have an emotional outburst. Mm-hmm. Jesus didn't see something that triggered him. And then he just flipped out. <laughs> And then everybody else can go, well, Jesus was perfect and he did it. So, you know, forgive me while I lose my mind on Facebook today, you know, or in in the, you know, in traffic, even Jesus got angry. You know, the reality is Mark chapter 11, Mm -hmm. verse 11 says that Jesus went into the temple and he saw what was happening. He looked around, but because the hour was late, he went to Bethany a town on the outskirts. He walked out to Bethany. He stayed the night. He got up the next morning. He came in with a whip, and that's when he began to turn over the tables of the the money changers. And it's so this is not an erratic response uh, to to something that's wrong with society. Jesus isn't surprised mm-hmm. by this moment. I mean, so you're saying he slept on it. He he slept on it. Yeah. He thought about it. John 2 says he made a whip. How long does that take? Oh, yeah. well, there's mean, one, you know. You know, I think we picture Indiana Jones, you know, like something bad happens and he just happens to have one, right? He just happens to have a whip. No, he made it. He made a whip. And so Jesus displayed righteous anger and he did it in the right moment and it was the right that's why Jesus the bible says could be tempted at all points and yet without sin he he, was, he wasn't almost sinning when he got angry. No, it was a justified. And by the way, there, there is a time for righteous anger. Absolutely. There is a time that, that, that I would even go so far as to say it is a sin that we be silent on issues that grieve the heart of God. That's good. We have to raise up, we have to be a voice sometimes, but we're talking about James saying, be slow to get angry. Yeah. And, and I, I just want to blow up the theory that Jesus got mad
2: at stuff. And so <laughs> I guess I can,
0: I can get mad too, because yeah. that's that's not what happened.
2: You, you brought up a good point earlier this week when we were talking about this and the fact that Jesus had gone. This was his custom to go there. So this wasn't the first time he saw this either. Every year. Yeah. He was always seeing this, but this was the moment that he was supposed to step up. That, that, is, that. that is
0: a powerful thought because, and again, it goes back to slow to
2: speak. Mm. Uh,
0: and, and even to what you said a moment ago, you, it's not that you weren't saying something that wasn't truthful. hmm it, maybe it's the wrong timing, it's the wrong tense, maybe you're just, it's the wrong emotion. And, and, and Jesus knew that this was the moment, this was the time that he was not going to let this go unchecked any longer. The reality is, let, let's just go a little deeper. What was Jesus actually angry about? Well, one of the things he was, he was angry about was the, the fact that injustice was being done there are pilgrims that are coming from all over. They're going up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And and it's difficult to travel in that day. And so some of them, they couldn't bring a sacrifice with them. They had to buy a sacrifice when they got there. So people have jacked the price up. It's like trying to buy, you know, a hot dog at a baseball game. You know, (laughs) it's not right. Why is that five bucks? (laughs) It's not right. Why is it 12 bucks? I mean, it's, but these people were you know, being taken advantage of. And then others, they were coming, and they had a different currency than the one that was being used in the temple. And so you get to the temple, and you're ready to purchase a sacrifice that you can make or to bring an offering. And they say, you can, we don't accept that currency here. And so then they, they, they jacked up the exchange rate. And so they're taking advantage of people there. You're losing money to have the right money to buy something that costs too much. And so there was an injustice, and Jesus gets upset about injustice, but another thing that, that it says is that uh, the disciples remembered. Mm-hmm. This is John chapter two, verse 17. 16, All right, verse 17. Yes, it says, his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. What Jesus was angry about, what he was zealous for, was the house of God. Mm-hmm. Jesus was passionate about the house of the Lord and, and, and prayerlessness. Mm-hmm. That's what he, he said. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations and you've made it a den of thieves and robbers. So if you want to know what Jesus got angry about, he got angry when the church was on off mission. Yeah, that's good. When the, when the church is not on mission, when there's injustice being done, right in front of our eyes, and when there's prayerlessness, and, and we're, we're focused on things that are not the things that God called us to. Amen. Jesus started turning tables and cracking the whip and releasing the animals from their cages, uh, but all of that, all of that ought to communicate to us there are, there are some things that we should be full full of passion and zeal for, but we should also understand that these things are not excuses for us being triggered Mm -hmm. in this hyper overreactive culture. I just think these words that that you said earlier are are so powerful. James 1 19, be quick to listen, be slow to speak and be slow to become angry.
2: Yeah. And and Jesus was always prioritizing God's purpose. He was always prioritizing those things. And you know, as we've moved forward in this season and as uh, our methods have had to change a lot of times, yes. yep. a, a lot of times. How many, how many times were we about to record something and then suddenly we saw something else come up on the news? And it, we're like, well, it, there it goes that. This week. It yeah. happened this week. The, like, vid- the video changing. I posted
0: on Wednesday was the second recording. I recorded it Tuesday night and then we had to change it overnight and re-record <laughs> it
2: on Wednesday. Yeah. I mean, how many times have our methods had to change? But, but here, here's, here's the third thing that we want you guys to get. We should be married to the mission and not to the methods. Yeah, We should be married to the mission and not to the methods. Yeah, You know, we've done it this way. You were saying you grew up in church. I mean, we've done it this way for so long. Right. It's been like this, where we have a church building, and thank God we have people in the church again that are looking back at me for some breathing faces, you know? But the methods have continued to change yeah. through this season, and it's been a reminder that that we need to focus on the mission. Mm-hmm. And, and here's the mission. Let me tell you what it is. It's the great commission. Right. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But what's interesting about that is it says go. We like the word go, right? Well, well I can't go anywhere. <laughs> I can't go anywhere. No, the, the focus isn't on the going. That's right. The focus is on the making the disciples. Yes. I mean, I just have to think about all the homes where parents now were home with their kids for length of time. Right. Where, where you were doing homeschooling when you didn't think you were going to do homeschooling. But I've heard many testimonies, even in our own church, where we got to get up in the morning and pray together, do some devotions as a family.
0: Yeah.
2: And begin to dig into the word of God and and tackle some difficult questions as a family and and eat dinner at the dinner table. I can't remember the last time that happened. You know, all those kinds of things. And right. and so again, we were we were beginning to marry ourselves with methods. Yeah instead of with the mission that God had for us.
0: Yeah, and that's so good. And honestly, I, this has been, again, we're we're trying to couch all of this conversation in what is the Holy Spirit teaching me? What's the Holy Spirit teaching you? I hope you're learning something through this season because I, I don't want to waste this crisis, but I kind of had a revelation in my own life of, how married to my methods I am. And one of the ways, I, you know, you start to realize it is, you know, everybody has an invisible scoreboard in their life. You have one where you work, you know. Uh, maybe it's not invisible. Maybe it's very visible. Maybe, you know, there's a picture that says employee of the month and you're not up there. And so, like, that's a really clear scoreboard. Maybe there's preferential parking for the one who's winning and you have to park farther away because everybody knows. Well, in the church, it's no different. Yeah, We have scoreboards, you know, uh, wh- whether they're intended or unintentional, and, and, you know, one of those for us is, man, when, when when you show up on Sunday morning and the house is packed, you kind of feel like you knocked a run-in, yeah. you know, hey, we're, just, we're doing okay here, God is good, man, look, everybody came to church, well, all of a sudden, you show up for 13 weeks straight, and you're just preaching to a camera, <laughs> and you don't know if anybody's paying attention, yeah. or if, you know, they turned their phone on, and then they just walked, took a walk, you know. E- Even
2: now, we don't know what you're
0: doing right now, but. It's hard to keep score. Yeah. Yeah. And I recognize in that, like, wow, I, I'm married to my methods. I, I really love the, way, I love the way we do church before COVID-19. Mm. And, and I got to be honest. Now, next Sunday, we're, we're going to open these doors on Sunday morning, and we're going to invite everyone to come back in. And, yes, we're going to put some social protocols in place, and we're going to try to do it safe. And it's not going to feel like it did before, but I can promise it's going to feel a whole lot better to me than this does. <laughs> and I can't wait for next Sunday. I cannot wait for June 21st to come because – I, li- I like the way we're doing it, but it, it, I, it has been a teachable moment yeah. for me. I can't be married to my methods. Mm-hmm. I have to be married to the mission. Yeah. Here, here's what we do. We, we, we love to quote Isaiah when he <laughs> said, you know, God said, behold, I do a new thing. Shall you not perceive it? And we're like, yes, God, do a new thing, do a new thing in the earth. But when we say that, we also want the new thing. To, be, <laughs> to look uh, like the old thing. <laughs> to kind of be familiar. Yeah. We want the, old, the new thing to be recognizable. Yeah. Can I, just be, can I just tell you, I don't like doing church this way. How could, how could I like it? I, I never did it before. Mm-hmm. It was unfamiliar. And because it was unfamiliar, it was a little bit scary. And because I didn't know how it was going to go, I was unsure about it. And, and, and so it's easy to say, Lord, do a new thing. But we also want the new thing to feel like the old thing. But can I just say, if you recognize it, by definition, it's not new.
2: Yeah, that's good. That's good.
0: So if, if you're saying God do a new thing, and then something happens that you've never seen before, never, been, don't be discouraged into thinking that oh no, the wheels have come off. We've lost. You know, what are we going to do now? God must not be in control. No, God yeah. is in control. He's doing something that is new, yeah. <laughs> and that's why. You've never seen this before. Yeah. And, and so I, I don't want to waste this crisis. I, I don't want to just get into survival mode and say, God, just, just help us to get through this. No, here's our conviction. And it's been this way since March. We don't want to spin our wheels trying to do things just to get through this. Yeah. We want to come out on the other side of this with revelation and insight for what God wants us to be and what he wants us
2: to do as the church yeah.
0: in this generation.
2: Yeah, and one of, one of the things that came up in our conversation earlier this week was one of our core values is outward focused. Yes. A- and we really came back to some of our core values to see how we do things as a church. Yeah. It-, it really drove the direction of what we decided to do, that we, we decided that we wanted to move forward through this season, right. that we were going to do some things that were unconventional. We have multiple camera angles now. We never had that before. We have there multiple were, cameras. Yeah, we, didn't, we didn't have, we have new before. lights that we were on a lift. And so there's all these things that we, we decided we're going to put these in place so that even when the season is over, we're going to move forward. Right. Because our mission is more important than our methods. That's right. And that's the reason, honestly, why we didn't do a church. Like, some churches, and praise God for innovation, some churches have decided to do parking lot church for a little while. And that's fine. Each church to his own. But there was a core conviction for us that we wanted to be outward focused, we wanted to be able to reach people that have yet to have come onto this campus before. Mm-hmm. And we have seen people that have been reached, that have been, began discipling through our Grow booklet that we have available right. and through many other opportunities, through marriage counselings that have come up and so many other things because we've decided to reach out instead of look within. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and that was a, a concern of mine from the beginning. I, I shared that with you just over the phone. I'm just so concerned that the, the church is going to turn inward and focus so much on themselves yeah. and not realize that there was a lost and a dying world out there. And and that we're called to to make disciples, even in the midst of this. And so we've done a lot of things behind the scenes to make that possible. Yeah. And when,
0: when we, we often say things like, you know, when one door closes, another door opens and, and the door that God has opened in this season is not a physical door. It's a digital door.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so, so we, we, in, in trying to be outward focused, have said, let's not just do things to get us through the COVID-19 pandemic. Let's lean in to what God is doing. Now, we know what we can't do. We're not going to go down that list. It's laying on the floor here in front of you. That's all the stuff that we couldn't do. (laughs) But the stuff that we can do, let's make sure that when this whole thing is over, that we don't just kind of hit the reset button and say, well glad that's over. We're back to normal. No, no, no. What we've learned through this season is that God has swung wide open another avenue. You know, the reality is we're living this whole situation. This is not an interruption. Mm. There's plenty of interruptions in life that you break a bone. That's an interruption. You're inconvenienced for six or eight weeks and then things go back to normal again. This is not an interruption. This is a disruption. Yeah. And, and those don't come along as often, but when they do, they're, they're seismic and they change things forever. I mean, we, we are living in the midst of, of the, the greatest uh, communication shift in 500 years.
2: Yeah, since the printing press.
0: You go back to Gutenberg and, and, and all of a sudden you get a Bible in every hand. Mm-hmm. And now we have a church in every home. Yeah. Because of technology. Because of the fact that the government can shut down businesses and athletic teams and sporting venues and, and and all of those places. And and when they shut down, they just shut down. The church didn't shut down. Amen. We just redirected. Yeah. The church is alive. The kingdom of God is advancing. Why? Because we recognize when one physical door closes, a digital door opened. And so we have no intention of closing that door. Now, like I said earlier, I can't wait for next Sunday. I can't <laughs> wait to open the physical doors back up. But when we do, all these cameras are going to keep rolling. Yeah. Because we've recognized that there are some people that, uh, that God is going to continue to help us to lead them from where they are. And they're not sitting on the third row. They're sitting at home. Mm-hmm. Or they're sitting in a nursing home. Or they're sitting in a hospital
2: Uh, And God's going to help us to lead people from where they are to where he wants them to be. But we do have to balance that out because sometimes I know that can feel a little scary, you know, going into the new and things we haven't seen before. But there are some things, there are some things that cannot be replaced. That's right. In the church. That's right. You know, one of those things is is the fact that content can never replace connection. Content can never replace connection. Yeah. You've got tons of content. In your fingertips, like right now you could watch all kinds of sermons. You can see all kinds of amazing pastors, like this one right here. And, and you can do so many different things right now. You can have the content in your fingertips, but that does not replace connection. Yeah,
0: and that, that is important because we have to know how to, to, to receive the new that God is doing and not throw out the things uh, that are, are sacred uh, and, and I think honestly, if, if I think that's some of the pushback that we feel in the church when people start talking about God's going to do something new. I think the, the the part of us that loves the familiar and the things that have been sacred to us and significant to us, we feel like maybe maybe that's just preacher talk. For I'm about to change everything. You know, I don't I don't like when he preaches about the new. That means they're gonna you know they're gonna change something. Yeah. It, but the reality is. There are some things that we do mm-hmm. that you can't, you can't replace with technology. You can't replace accountability Amen. with technology. And so if you're going to just, you know, sit at home and just watch all the, the best preachers and sermons online, that's great, but who's looking you in the eye and challenging you in your walk with Jesus? Amen. Jesus didn't say download my podcast. He said follow me. Amen. That's he said good. come and see where I live. And so there, there's a thing of doing life together that that is so important and and I hope, and this is my prayer. I said this weeks ago. I'm going to say it again right now. I hope that one of the results of this quarantine and this season of social distancing, I hope that the church never takes for granted again, as long as we live, the coming together of the body of Christ. Amen. Because we, we need togetherness. And that's another core value of ours, yeah.
2: that we are better together. Yeah. And... You know, as, as we come to a close here, you know, we couldn't help but think of a story in Second Chronicles. Because as we've been navigating this crisis, there's been a lot of times where we just looked at each other and said, we don't know what to do.
0: Yeah.
2: And there's a lot of you, I'm sure, that are sitting in this room and that are sitting at home or wherever you're watching this from And you have a next step. You have to take a next step. But you're like, I don't know what to do. We have been there time and time again through this crisis. So many different things. We we would swing one direction and think, well, maybe we'll go in this direction. And then, no, that door got shut. Maybe we're going to go in this direction. And, nope, that door got shut. Mm -hmm. And, And as we began to navigate this thing, as we continue to navigate this thing, I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't think any of us do. But there is something we can do.
0: There is absolutely something we can do. And, and God does not want you to waste this crisis. In just a moment, we're going we're gonna to sing one more song before we end this broadcast, before we end this time of worship together. And the song is called, See a Victory. And here's the good thing about the God we serve. He's got a, a big goose egg in the losing column. <laughs> He's never lost a battle. Amen. And that's really the heart of the song. He's never lost a battle. And so if we stay on the winning team, if we stay on the winning side, we're going to see a victory And that story that you just referenced. In fact, I was I was talking with a pastor friend of mine on the phone earlier this week, and we were praying for each other because, you know, pastors need prayer, too. Thank you. And we were praying for each other and While we were praying, he said the words, God, we don't even know what to do, but our eyes are fixed on you. And a couple seconds later, he said, amen. And I was already up off the edge of my bed where I was sitting, and I was looking for my Bible. I said, I don't even know if you realize what you just said, but I got to look this up. You said, God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And I started flipping through my Bible until I found where that verse was. I couldn't remember exactly where it was located, but I remembered I had it highlighted in pink. So, you know, if you use the same Bible enough, you can find verses easily if you write in it. And sure enough, I found that page, right hand column, three quarters of the way down, hot pink highlighter. And it's Jehoshaphat, he's leading the people, and they're surrounded by the enemies of Moab and Ammon, and he doesn't know what to do. And so he he, he calls the people together for a prayer meeting. And you can take the time to read it on your own, but in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, Jehoshaphat begins to pray this prayer. It's a beautiful prayer, but the last line of the prayer in verse 12b of 2 Chronicles 20, he says these words. He says, We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Amen. What, a, what a perfect prayer to pray in a crisis. How much time and energy can we exhaust just trying to figure it out when maybe what we really need to do is just express our dependence on the Lord. Amen. And, and here's what happens. He says, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And then down in verse 14, it says, then the spirit of the Lord came. You know what God's looking for? He's looking for people that are desperate for him. People that are looking to him. And because their fix, their gaze was fixed on him. Because their posture was right. They were looking to the Lord. The response is then the spirit of the Lord came. And the spirit of the Lord came through the gift of prophecy. And a man named Jehaziel. And he began to prophesy. And here's what he said. For the battle... Is not yours, but God's. We talk about a word in season. Here's Jehoshaphat going, "I, I don't know what we're going to do. We got all these enemies out here. Lord, we're trusting you." And all of a sudden, the Spirit moves, and God speaks and says, "The battle is the Lord's. The battle belongs to the Lord." And, and Jehoshaphat receives that word, and he takes a posture of worship. Now that's what we're about to do right now. In fact, in the text, it says that he bowed down, prostrate before the Lord, and all the people bowed down with him. They literally fell on their face before God, and they began to worship God. Why? Because God had spoken in the middle of their crisis, and God confirmed his faithfulness. The battle is not yours, but God's. Then the story goes on to say that he gets up the next morning. He's got a new outlook. It's amazing what time in God's presence will do. It's amazing what sleeping on it will do. He gets up the next morning, and he's not saying, we don't know what to do. He's giving instruction. Jehoshaphat begins to communicate to the people. He says this down in verse 20. He says, have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. And Then it goes on to say that after he had consulted the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness. And as they went out at the head of the army, they were saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Some of you remember this story. This is the moment where he literally sent the worship team out before the army. Why? Because God had already spoken and said, the battle is not yours. The battle is the Lord's. And so while they were spinning their wheels trying to figure out what they were going to do to solve it, instead they looked to the Lord and they took a posture of worship. Hmm. And I love, I love the next verse of scripture because now the, the worshipers are just going out. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever. And the Bible says in the next verse as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. Amen. They were defeated. Here's what I want to encourage us to do. Whatever way you would define your crisis, don't get so fixated on asking God to get you through something when God wants to get you to something. There's something God wants to teach us. There's something that God wants to position us for. He's shaping us. Why? How can I say that with confidence? Because God is always moving forward. Because he's never taken a spring off. (laughs) Because God, as we read in Genesis 50 and verse 20, is taking even those things the enemy meant for evil and he's turning them for good. Why? For the saving of many people. So we're going to sing this song And the bridge of the song even borrows from that story. The bridge of the song says, you take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. So I want to challenge you, wherever you're at, wherever you're watching from, lift up this song with us. Lift up this anthem from your heart. And more than just a song, let it be a, a, a posture that you take, just like Jehoshaphat did when he said, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. Let this be your posture and let this be your confession today to say, God, I'm going to see a victory in my life. I'm going to see a victory in 2019 or 2020. God, I'm going to see a victory because what the enemy meant for evil, even that God can turn for good. And the battle belongs to the Lord. Listen, we have our online host ready to pray for you. If we can pray specifically about the battle that you're in, put it in the comments. Get involved right now and know that the church is rallying with you. We might not be together physically, but thank God that he put us in this day and in this generation that the church has digital doors that we can connect through. And we want to pray for you right now. Put your prayer in the comments and let's raise up an anthem today that says, I'm going to see a victory in Jesus' name, amen.